0: Today on Blue 58, as we start our NFL Draft Preview, we've got to kick off with the game's most important position. Quarterback, why is it so hard to draft a good one? And what is muddying the waters when it comes to discussing these crucial picks? Join us for a quick discussion on some of the myths surrounding drafting your next franchise quarterback. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It is time to begin looking forward to 2021. The dust has settled in the NFL offseason. Free agency is as close to over as it's going to get for right now. It is kind of just ad hoc signings at this point. Uh, the Super Bowl is long past... And just on the last episode, we completed our second look at every game in the Packers 2020 schedule. There's really nothing left to talk about as far as 2020 goes, though we may dip back in from time to time. It's time to start looking ahead, and that means talking about the NFL draft. And as you might have guessed, by the episode title, the episode introduction, and by the words coming out of my mouth and going into your ears right now, Uh, We're going to talk about quarterbacks today. We're going to talk about it in a little bit different way, and I want to be careful as we go through this entire draft preview process about how we do this whole thing, because I want to avoid getting too attached or too focused on specific players. What I want to talk about, especially this year, is process. I want to talk about is when you can expect to get good players, and what I want to talk about is why certain things happen the way that they do. That is a very broad goal, I realize, but I think if we're systematic in our approach here, we can talk a little bit more about the draft as a whole and not just focus on the Packers in particular, because as interesting as the Packers are, I think it's more interesting and more helpful to each of us if we understand why things are happening the way that they are. Today is a little bit even more challenging because we're talking about a position that the Packers really have no business drafting anybody at all. Quarterback. Would have said the same last year, but we know how that turned out. But this year there should be extra incentive to not draft a quarterback for a couple reasons. First, they've got two that they are apparently uh, pretty set on at this point, or maybe just one, depending on how you read Mark Murphy's comments about committing to Aaron Rodgers beyond 2021. Uh, But that is an entirely different discussion and one I'm not interested in really diving into right now. Uh, But they've got Aaron Rodgers and they've got Jordan Love. There is really no good reason on God's green earth why they should be interested in drafting a quarterback. And for a second reason, they're not going to be in range to get any of the quarterbacks worth halving. And third, even if they were, how hard is it to really draft a good quarterback? Pretty hard, apparently, because a lot of teams screw it up and I think it may screw it up through no fault of their own. So let's talk a little bit about drafting a quarterback. We're going to talk about why drafting well at quarterback is important, why drafting a quarterback is so hard, and some myths about drafting quarterbacks. Philosophical approach to the position, because again, let's hope, knocking very much on wood, the Packers are not in a position to draft any of the quarterbacks, again, worth having in this this year's draft. So first, why drafting a quarterback is important? This is evident in two ways. First, self-evident. Quarterback is hugely important. You either have one you can win with or you don't have a chance. There is no middle ground in the NFL. There is really no cludging together uh, spare parts and making it into a useful quarterback in the 2021 NFL. It's just the way it is. You've either got a quarterback or you don't really have a franchise at all. The definition of what a franchise quarterback is, I think, is expanding. And that's good for most teams. But still, you've got to have a quarterback who is going to be good more often than not to even have a chance. And you really have to have a guy who's playing at an MVP level to really have a shot at winning a Super Bowl. Just look at who is in the Final Four in the NFL this year. Four MVP candidates. The less evident reason why drafting it well at quarterback is important comes down basically to sunk costs. Think how far back it can set you if you choose wrong. And there's really no choice but to throw more money at the problem until you've got it solved. You're going to end up spending way more resources than you would otherwise to fix this problem if you screw it up, if you take the wrong guy when you've got a chance to draft a big-time quarterback. There's some very good data that we'll talk about throughout our draft preview process that strongly suggests trading back is always the right option. But that may be especially true when it comes to quarterbacks, especially if you're taking the second quarterback in a given draft class. Two economists, Cade Massey and Richard Thaler, did an analysis on draft pick value. So uh, we frequently cite, we meaning all of NFL Media, frequently cite the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart, a couple others that that float around basically different charts that show you how much a given draft pick is worth, and that helps you calculate what you should be getting in return if you want to trade draft picks between teams. Everybody uses some version of it. These two economists did an analysis on draft pick value and wanted to see how closely NFL trades really line up with that chart. Their conclusions were interesting, and we'll talk about them more perhaps in a different context, but the short of it for our discussion today, is that if you have the opportunity to trade a pick for two lesser picks, trading back in other words, you should almost always do it. The reason they give as to why that is the case is that it's basically a coin flip, whether one guy at a position is going to be markedly better than the next guy at the position. First overall picks make that a little bit harder to evaluate, but not a lot harder. We can look at quarterbacks pretty easily and see that more often than not, or as often as not, it's pretty much a coin flip as to who you're going to get. Let's look at the last 10 drafts and look at the first quarterback taken and the next quarterback taken. Would teams have been better off trading back or trading out entirely and focusing on something else? In 2020, the first quarterback taken was Joe Burrow. The next was Tua Tagovailoa. Better so far is Joe Burrow. All right, so that's one in favor. 2019, first quarterback off the board was Kyler Murray. Next was Daniel Jones. So far, Murray is better. 2018, Baker Mayfield first off the board. Next off is Sam Darnold. So far, Baker Mayfield is better. 2017, starts to get interesting. Mitchell Trubisky first off the board. The next quarterback taken was Patrick Mahomes, and you may have heard that Patrick Mahomes has turned out to be pretty good. Somewhat better, some would say, than Mitchell Trubisky. 2016, Jared Goff goes first. Carson Wentz is next. It's pretty much a push, I would say, but I think Wentz has some better stats. If you really wanted to argue that Wentz is better than Jared Goff, I think you could have some support there. Some of the advanced numbers may not go in your favor, but it's pretty close. Let's call it a push. 2015, we've got Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Eileen Winston- but I think it's pretty much a, much a push. Neither one turned out to be a long-term starter for the team that drafted them. 2014, first quarterback, Blake Bortles. Next, Johnny Manziel. Does it really matter who's better? It's basically a push. Bortles is better than Johnny Manziel. Blake Bortles is still kicking around NFL teams. Johnny Manziel is playing in the fan-controlled football league. Neither one was worth the, worth the first-round pick that was spent on them. 2013, E.J. Manuel first, Geno Smith next. Better, again, does it matter. Probably manual, but it, neither one was good. 2012, Andrew Luck goes one, RG3 goes second. There are some asterisks, but Andrew Luck is better. Finally, uh, 2011, Cam Newton goes first, Blaine Gabbert goes second, Cam Newton decidedly better than Blaine Gabbert. So in 10 years, then, you've got five instances where the first quarterback taken in the draft is definitely better than the second quarterback taken. You've got one instance where the second quarterback is definitively better, without a doubt better than the first quarterback taken. And then you've got four instances where there's essentially no difference or they're both bad. Taking a quarterback is somewhat fairly a coin flip. If there is this much consideration at the time as to whether or not any of these guys are good, and then years later we can look back and say about half of them turn out to be good, that makes it pretty much a coin flip. Turning that back to sunk costs, think how badly taking the wrong guy in that situation can set you back. And it's not even one quarterback versus another sometimes. Sometimes it's one quarterback versus um, a different position. Looking at Bears, the Bears and Mitchell Trubisky, that is the obvious worst screw-up here. They not only took Mitchell Trubisky, they traded up to get him. And boy, did that not work out in a big way. Look at the Jaguars and Blaine Gabbert. So Cam Newton goes first overall in that draft year all the way back in 2011. Uh, Blaine Gabbert is the next quarterback off the board at 10. J.J. Watt goes 11. Christian Ponder goes 12. Andy Dalton goes 35. Colin Kaepernick goes 36. Those are three quarterbacks as good or better than Blake Gabbert. Two of those four are definitely better, or two of those three are definitely better than Gabbert. And Watt, of course, well you take him over all those guys. It's not hard to imagine a situation where the the Jaguars either trade back and get Dalton or Kaepernick in the early second, get a couple of their picks for their trouble, and then take somebody, somebody else the next year. Sure, it's James Winston and Marcus Mariota, but at least you've got some other parts around them. Maybe they can attract a better free agent. Maybe they can make something else work at least you wouldn't again be in the position of having to take Blake Bortles in 2014. Maybe Andy Dalton helps you stick around a little bit longer so your bottoming out doesn't happen until, let's say, 2017. Maybe the Jaguars are in a position to take Patrick Mahomes, although they were, I guess, in a way, in a position to take Patrick Mahomes because of how how bad Blake Bortles was. But again, they end up chasing quarterbacks again and again and again because they can't get it figured out. Arizona Cardinals are another good example of this. They take Josh Rosen 10th overall in 2018. The next quarterback off the board is Lamar Jackson. Could have traded back and gotten him in the late end of the first. They ended up taking Kyler Murray first overall the next year. Now props to the Cardinals for taking their medicine and getting the guy they really wanted versus a guy they didn't think they could do it after seeing him in person on the field for him. But they end up spending two top 10 picks at quarterback in two years and say they get Lamar Jackson in 2018, still end up in the top 10 maybe, maybe they don't, but just for sake of argument, let's say they do, they want to sit Lamar Jackson for a year, do some other crazy quarterback related thing. Say they're picking near the top of the draft again. You've got Nick Bosa, Quinn and Williams and Devin White all going in the top five. Kyler Murray, if he turns out to be good, is more valuable than all of those guys But you don't have to pick another quarterback if you get it figured out the first time around. This is not to play Monday morning quarterback, but rather to point out how important getting that right guy is and some of the consequences for getting it wrong. So what makes this so hard then? I think it boils down to two things. First, different systems in college make it really hard to evaluate quarterbacks. What is asked of quarterbacks, I think, is the real question that teams should be should be asking as they try to scout these guys. I think other than some of the finer points, uh, and there's some really interesting data coming out about, um, well, rooted in high-end video analysis of how guys throw the ball, how long it takes them really to deliver a pass, how quickly the ball is actually traveling when they throw it. Those are all differentiators, yes. Um, But at a basic level... If you're looking for a guy who can project in the NFL, look at what they are asked to do. Not so much their productivity, but how do they get that big box score number? And look at the four top four quarterbacks in this year's draft. Maybe you don't think there are four good quarterbacks. Maybe you think there's five or six. But the consensus top four, in some order, is Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson. If you look at what they do in college, it is a range. Spread stuff, option stuff, run-heavy stuff, but all efficient passers. Mac Jones out of Alabama has comparable stats, some of the best passing stats, efficiency-wise, that you can find. But look at the offense he plays in. It's a Ferrari with all the athletes that Alabama has. I could make a pretty good case, and I've got a messed up shoulder, and I'm 32. But put me in that offense, I bet I could complete a couple passes to Devontae Smith. Bet I could make that work. Bet I could do some handoffs real good. And uh, we could talk about how gritty I am and, you know, how I'm a coach on the field and all those sorts of things. Heck, I've got a bad body too. Just look at Mac Jones. Anyway, that is neither here nor there. Uh, The point is, looking at quarterbacks is extremely difficult, exponentially more difficult than other positions in the draft because of the things, variety of things they are asked to do. No matter what system you're playing in, being a left guard is basically being a left guard. Being a center is basically being a center. I know there are offensive linemen out there. I can hear my friend Andy saying, well, actually, yes, I know there are some finer points there. But compared to the differences in systems that quarterbacks can run, There is a nominal difference at best between the responsibilities of an offensive lineman in one system to the next. The second thing that makes drafting quarterbacks so hard is developmental curves. Now, I have expressed skepticism in the past, and I am still skeptical about the idea of guys really changing who they are in the NFL. But I don't think you can deny there is a breaking-in period for these young quarterbacks. Call it a getting-used-to-it period like getting into a pool that's a little bit cooler than you expect. You step in, ooh, that's a little bit chilly, but you get used to it. You have a good time. How long it takes can differ from one person to the next. Some people don't ever make it into the water. I think that's how it is for these young quarterbacks. And it takes longer to get into the pool for some guys than others. And pretending that's not the case, I think, is is disingenuous. Yes, there is a learning curve. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea to sit your quarterbacks. And we'll talk about that in a second here, but there is a learning period and how those guys are going to navigate that learning period is a big scouting hurdle because there's really no knowing until you see a guy on an NFL field. Daniel Jeremiah tells the story again and again about Kyle Bowler, Kyle Baller, however you say his name, the, uh, ill-fated first-round pick that the Baltimore Ravens made at quarterback way back in the early 2000s. And he said the moment he stepped on the practice field for his first practice in the NFL, you could tell that he did not belong there at all. He just, he was not going to be able to do it. And it was like, we screwed this one up. This was not a good move and we're going to be in trouble. Uh, this is going to hurt. And it did. It hurt the Ravens for a while. Um, he was never able to get through that period. It was really short for him. It became really obvious he couldn't do it. But there are some guys that might take a season might take two. but I think there is something to that idea of figuring it out now, if you're a college star, that's not necessarily you're always that's not necessarily to say that you're always going to figure it out and become that kind of player again in college. but there is a learning curve, and whether or not you're able to navigate that learning curve is part of the Great unknowable part of scouting quarterbacks. I want to talk about a few things that are not good evaluative tools or not good things to think about when it comes to drafting quarterbacks in just a second, but first I want to give a shout out to a couple of our Patreon sponsors. Uh, today we are shouting out Dale Anderson, Alex Moss, and Jacob Richmond, all of them patrons since 2019 and among the company that you can join as a Patreon supporter as well. If you merely head to the uh, patreon.com slash thepowersweep, choose your membership level, and uh, join our team there. If you do so, you will have several benefits coming your way. First, you get a little bit of bonus bonus content that is exclusive to patrons. We did one last week, a uh, post on Patreon about uh, – how we should think about quarterbacks, which is apropos because of what we're talking about now. How should you appreciate great quarterback play? I think it's a lot more like art than, than science, and uh, I explain why in that post. And you can read it if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll also get access to a private Discord server, and you'll also have the satisfaction of knowing you literally helped keep this operation running because we couldn't do it without your financial support. So head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and join us there. All right, we've talked a little bit about why it's so hard to draft quarterbacks. We've talked a little bit about why it's so hard to evaluate quarterbacks. What, then, are some things that are not true about drafting quarterbacks? I think there are a few myths out there related to quarterbacks and drafting quarterbacks, and I'd like to run through a few of them now. First, the most pernicious myth, especially in the Packers' media world that I have seen over the last year or so, is, <clears throat> in all capital letters, the best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need one. The best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need one. This is so self-evidently false, I cannot believe that people are honestly saying this out, out loud and believing believing this. If this was true, Why wouldn't you draft a quarterback whenever you have the opportunity? Why would anyone ever draft anything other than a quarterback? If there is any NFL caliber quarterback on the board when you are picking, should you not then take them? If this is true. Either This is the biggest piece of advice that people are ignoring, or it's just a truism that gets repeated by people who should know better. You know how we know this isn't true? Because nobody does it. You don't see people just burning draft capital to not play guys because they say they do not need them. Jimmy Johnson is widely credited with saying this. And he, among all people, should know better. He technically spent two first-round draft picks in his first year as the head coach decision-maker of the Dallas Cowboys, thanks to the supplemental draft, look that story up, but then never drafted anybody early again. It is almost like, almost as though, he had his quarterback situation figured out and didn't ever need one again, so he didn't draft one. Weird. Weird how that works. The best time to draft a quarterback is when you do need one, and you have moved heaven and earth to get one. That is when it is the best time to draft a quarterback. If you have a quarterback, you should be using your resources elsewhere to squeeze every possible winning moment you can out of having that good quarterback. That is how it should work, and that is how most teams in the NFL treat their quarterback situations. Second myth about drafting quarterbacks is that quarterbacks can sit and develop. Again, I think this is self-evidently false. Otherwise, most more more people can do it. More people would do it. This reminds me of the those pop-up ads that you see. I, I usually get ones for skincare. Uh, he, she learned to ha- this new skincare routine. Uh, she, she solved her skincare routine with this one weird trick. Skin doctors hate her, you know stuff like that. This is that, but for the NFL. If there really was one weird trick to developing quarterbacks, everybody would be doing it even if it is true, can anyone really actually do this? Is that ever a good idea? If your job is on the line, say you're year two as a head coach, you've come in, you had to take over a bad situation. You went through a bad year. All right. that's That, that happens sometimes. You go four and 12 in your first year and you got an opportunity to pick near the top of the draft. You draft what you think is your next franchise quarterback, but we're going to let him sit and develop. We want to make sure he's absolutely ready when we put him in the game. So you sit him for a year. Suddenly, you're heading into year three. Your old warhorse of a quarterback did not play very well. What do you do? You keep sitting that guy because he really needs to develop more. Or do you head into year three with an antsy fan base, an owner with an itchy trigger finger, and a GM who's doing his best to give you pieces, but you won't play as quarterback? Are you really going to keep sitting this guy? The jury is still very out, very much out, as to whether or not this was a good move for the Packers. I'm pretty convinced it's not. We won't belabor that point anymore. But it worked once for the Packers, and I think that may be the exception that proves the rule. People point to Patrick Mahomes, okay, you've got two in 20-some-odd years that have worked. Unless you are an exceptionally gifted football player to begin with, maybe sitting for a year doesn't actually work that much for you. Third myth is that hand size matters. No, not really. Fumblers fumble. If you're going to fumble, you're going to fumble. And hand size measurements in the NFL are an absolute joke anyway. From an ESPN article, I've shared this on Twitter, go find it. Just look up hand size ESPN, you'll find it. From an ESPN article related to this, quote, why is this such a big problem? For starters, it's hard to take the statistic too seriously when there isn't a single universally accepted method for how to measure hand size. And so, as was the case with Josh Allen, the data can vary widely between the senior bowl, the combine, and pro day workouts on campus. And while the size of an NFL football is close to universal, 11 inches tip to tip and 22 inches around the center, where and how quarterbacks grip the ball isn't end quote. So you've got quarterbacks getting their hands measured who knows how many different ways and all holding the football differently anyway. You almost get the impression that this really can't matter as much as people like to think that it possibly could. Finally, the fourth myth that I would like to take on about drafting quarterbacks is that you can really find good quarterbacks late in the draft. Not really ran some math on this using uh, adjusted net yards per attempt. This is my favorite passing metric. I think it is the single best number for passing efficiency work in today. Since 2000, 38 different players have produced at least one season where their adjusted net yards per attempt uh, clocked out at 7.5 yards or more on 200 or more passes in a season. Of those 38, 18 were drafted in the first round And another 10 were drafted in the second or third rounds. Fourth rounds or later, you've got four or three that came from the fourth round, zero from the fifth, two from the sixth, one from the seventh, one from the eighth round, hello, Trent Green, and three undrafted free agents. 74% of the quarterbacks that produced an adjusted net yards per attempt of 7.5 yards or more in a season where they threw the ball 200 or more times came from the first three rounds. After that, you're throwing darts, man. It's, it's tough. And chances are you're going to come up empty. There just aren't elite quarterbacks coming off the board late in the draft. It just is not a thing that happens. This is something that people love to hype up in the spring. The NFL media loves to talk about these sleeper prospects. Hey, maybe this guy could be good. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he could be. He's probably not going to be. Maybe he played at a big-name school. He had a couple good good games, some games you remember. Maybe a primetime game where he played pretty well. But chances are if he's getting drafted outside the first three rounds, he is just not really going to be anything special. Maybe he'll be a spot starter or backup not going to be a long-term, high-performing guy. It's just not going to happen. That's my quarterback spiel. It's what I've got for you. Next week, we will dive into more in-depth stuff on uh, a few of the other positions and continue all the way through the NFL draft, and the NFL draft is closing in very rapidly. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode and you think somebody else would enjoy it as well, go ahead and share it with somebody you think would enjoy it. That is going to help more people find the show and ultimately help all of us Uh, continue this conversation around the Packers and become smarter Packers fans all together, me included. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.